We're about to kick off an all-new Geek in the City Radio, which is brought to you by our sponsor, Wandering Monster. Uh, you've heard me talk about it last week. I'm going to give you a little bit more insight into Wandering Monster, which was founded by Greg Barrett. You have heard him on the show many, many times with the segment Building Character. So imagine him taking that massive depth of D&D knowledge uh, into your virtual home with Wandering Monster. He's got over 15 years experience of running games as well as a stage actor and producer, so he knows about setting the stage and telling the story, which is really what D&D is all about, and that's what Wandering Monster is all about. So, like I said, it's uh, he, it basically, if you want to play D&D, but you're not really comfortable with it, or you have a group and you don't know how to run it for them, Wandering Monster is for uh, four to six players. Uh, he can cater to larger events, but that's something different. Four to six players. They've got sessions for age groups 9 to 12, and then 3 to 18, and, you know, he's also got one for any ages. Uh, you just need to contact him or whatnot. So, basically, when you purchase it, you're purchasing four-week bundles. Uh, because, you know, you can't really do a game in, like, one night. I mean, you can, but those are special things. So, you buy a four-week bundle. Each session is two hours long and includes custom character creation. Greg is very story-driven, so he will work hand-in-hand uh, -hand with you in helping you create the best character that you would want to play D&D with, whether it's someone who just wants to just be good at bashing or, you know, you want to have a little bit of fun with some banter. Uh, all the options are there, and Greg will help you discover that character through Wandering Monster. So check them out at wanderingmonster.com. You can also find a link on our Facebook page, on the Kicking City page, all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's time for you to uh, get your adventure and Wandering Monster will get you there. WanderingMonster.com One, two, three, four! It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues today into which we must delve. We're gonna talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert, we're going more back through 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. All right. And with that, I say hello and welcome to issue 608 of Geek in the City Radio. I am your moderately confused host, Aaron Duran. I am your patiently waiting, Beanerita. Hey, fantastic. How's it going? Oh, and I am your absent co-host, Cable Hashitani. Uh, uh, yeah, Cable Cable has other things today. Well, I think we mentioned it last week. His family's in town and he would like to see them. Because yes. some, yes. Oh, okay. oh, well, if we, oh. did, if we didn't say it before, it's out there now, so... I think he mentioned that his mom was the in town. The secret is out. Cable has family. <laughs> he was not merely birthed from a pod. Damn it. Or so uh, he would have us believe. We haven't seen these quote-unquote parents of his. That's true. I have met his... I have, I have met his sister, of which he has told this story many, many times, and he loves to rub it in. Um, like 16 years ago, I started chatting and hitting it off with this quite beautiful uh, uh, woman 
at a pair at a comics event hosted by pair for homeless youth. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was doing very well. Uh, I don't know if this lovely lady felt the same way. And I went over to cable and I said, he's like, you having a good time. I'm like, yeah, I'm having a good time. And also like, look at that. Look at that woman over there. Like she's really cute and she's fun. And I think we kind of were hitting it off really well. And he said, yeah, no, I can see how you guys hit it off. I'm like, how would you know? He said, because she's my sister. (laughs) (laughs) And then he was like, yeah. And not that he cared about that, but I'm trying to remember. It's just funny. If she was with somebody, I think he was like, also, she's already married. She's just being nice to you. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, Aaron, so thirsty. Well, no. And then I was like, Cable, is this just something your family does? And he was like, yes, it is what we do. Because. Plus 10 charisma to all Hashitani. I know. Well, because, and they also love this horrible, mean, and hilarious game. Because six months before, I had spent like an hour talking to this middle-aged dude about comics. And then we started talking about fucking Sandman comics and about how amazing they were. And I was like philosophizing on Sandman. I go to cable. I'm like, dad, I'm hanging out with this dude. And he's really cool. Like we were talking about Sandman and he knows his shit. And I'm giving my information about it. And we're having a good time. And he's like, well, he should. He's the colorist on Sandman. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? He's like, because you wouldn't have been relaxed around him then. He's like, like you won't be now. I was like, Ooh, that was a very... It was a very genuine conversation you were having. We were, yeah, no, but that's a that's a that's a cable thing. So let that be a warning to you, Denise. If you ever end up hitting it off with someone, you go to hit cable and be like, "We're hitting off really well." He'd be like, "Yeah, I know, because that's the person who created Sailor Moon." I just didn't want to tell you, you know, shit like that. I don't know if that. Person I was going to be like, "Well, that could never happen because X, Y, and Z," but uh, that's just going to ruin the joke. Uh, but yes, I will. I will prepare myself for that eventuality. It, it could never. It could happen. Never discredit Cable's power to know someone in this world or the next. <laughs> you know, so for sure, for sure, don't discredit him. So there we go. Share. It's so hard Cable, to uh, share these Facebook videos. I know. I'm sorry. Cable does know everyone. Uh, there used to be a not. Well, it wasn't like a joke joke, but there used to be, um, it used to be kind of a quasi joke in Portland that Cable was the pop culture fulcrum of this city. Like nothing in this, nothing pop culture happened in this city without Cable's tacit approval or knowledge of said thing happening. And even though he says he's been out of the game for a while, He's still like the godfather of Portland's pop culture scene. Like he's yeah, still you don't, you don't stop knowing those people just because you're not as active as you used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah, no. He's like the Don Corleone of of nerds. You have to go to him, <laughs> ask permission. He's like, you come to me on this day of my daughter's marriage. I don't. That's not how it worked, but you get the point. On, on this, the day of my Manju's birthday. <laughs> that's right. There it is. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, man, I have good news, but I can't share it. Aw, well, way to, way to bait everyone. You're welcome. Uh, more things were sold. Let's just say that. Fantastic. Yay! Uh, I look forward to hearing about it later. <laughs> when we turn off the live stream? Yes. Or, you know, whenever it is, you know, permissible for you to share it. Mm-hmm. In whatever capacity. 
that's fair. So we've got a. This might be the first show in a while that we don't review a show or a movie. Oh. Uh. Well, that depends. Are we going to talk about Masters of the Universe at all? We're going to wait for Cable. I. I think we'll wait for Cable. Okay. I'd rather then, wait for Cable for his input on that one. Then you are correct. Uh, we will not be reviewing any shows cool. or movies today. I'd like to say we won't be referencing Disney Plus, but that's not true. We will be referencing it. They sure uh, get a lot out of us for six ninety nine a month. Yeah, they do. Six ninety nine a month. Is that what it is? I think it's nine ninety nine a month. I don't know. Oh, I, I pay for the annual, so I I pay thirteen, but I also get ESPN and Hulu with it. And I only get ESPN so I can get women's soccer. I didn't end up doing that because you can only have basic Hulu and Hulu's commercials are infuriating. Oh, I don't have that. So I pay for Hulu separately to have a higher tier plan that doesn't have commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not as justifiable now. I don't use Hulu as much as I used to. I don't either, weirdly enough. That's true. Um, there is one bit of nerd news I want to drop that was announced like two hours ago. So, like a year ago, it was announced that Taiki Watiti was going to be doing an animated Flash Gordon. That has changed. It oh. is now going to be a live action film of Flash Gordon. And my brain is losing its mind at Taiki Watiti doing fucking Flash Gordon. I don't know who you cast, I don't know what he does, but like. Think of what he does with vampires and superheroes. Like he already takes things that are considered super serious and puts his spin on it. And now he's doing a live action Flash Gordon. Like my brain, my brain can't take it. Like it, it breaks. That's pretty exciting. It's super exciting. Now I want just this weird, awkward, like everyone's awkwardly by and fighting Ming and the world of Mongo and, I kind of hope that he finds a way to bring Brian Blessed back in. Like, he's super <laughs> old now, but, like, I wouldn't mind Taiki as Ming. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> He'd make a kind of great Ming the Merciless. I could see that. I could definitely see that. Or a Clytus. Super snarky. I think I'd rather see him as Ming. I could see that. Not that and, I'm by any stretch of the imagination a like a pro, you know, like a, an expert on Flash Gordon anything. So I, I feel like this conversation, if he was available, you should just rope Christian in so we can nerd out for like twenty minutes. Oh, sadly he's, he's not here. He's he's, he's my he's, he's my he's my Flash Gordon buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's with his other wife right now. So that's fair. Well, Don't tell him I said that he doesn't like that joke. What? <laughs> what? That, that could backfire. So we're going to talk about stuff. Yes. First, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say first, but we have two topics on the table for today. Uh, the first one is, um, let me. I should have had the title saved on hand. So uh, an opinion uh, interview. Right. Let me see if I can for, find no, it. For, no, it's, it's, it's the New York Times opinion. Yeah is what it is and it is an audio interview with Hannah uh, Nicole Hannah Jones and Tanahasi Coates 
um, both uh, are going to be, or well, no, Tanahasi already is, and Nicole Hennesmith is going to be. Uh, they're they're both um, going to be professors at Howard University, it's which is daily. a historically black. Like the, I think it's like the biggest historically black college, right? Them like the most. It is. N- Famous, prestigious, you know, college words. Yeah. yeah, I also believe it's one of the historical black colleges that's forgiving all student loan debt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was an article that dropped yesterday, like 15 of the top historically black, college, black colleges in America are forgiving student loan debt. If only there were historically Mexican or brown colleges in America. They don't. We just have strawberry fields. Um yeah, I, I, I wanted to say something snarky about like, well, I guess the reparations are better when the crimes against your sect of humanity is worse, but there's no, there's no winning yeah. that argument. So. No, there's no winning that argument. And I remember actually a few years ago, I was this super side topic. I was chatting with Keelan about this and Keelan had like sent me a message. He was like, bro, I had no idea that like, for like 200 years, like Mexicans were being lynched in the Southwest. I was like, oh yeah, it just didn't get press, I guess. But yes, all the time. That was a dark moment to take it. Uh, yeah, it's it's from The Daily, from Opinion, Nicole Hannah-Jones and Ta-Nehisi Coates on the story we tell about America. I think they re-aired it on The Daily. Uh, oh. But that's great because that's... I don't subscribe to the New York Times. I, I kind of wish I, I would like to, but uh, that's a that's a financial conversation I need to revisit. But the Daily is free, and it's a podcast, which means I can listen to it when I'm getting ready for work or whatever. And it's it's it has over the basically since the pandemic started has been a really really great way to uh, have more deep dives into what's going on in current events, both on the national and international uh fronts um and every now and then you get more um adi- you you get additional content directly from other parts of the New York Times but the reason right. we wanted to talk about this today is uh because as most nerds i'm sure are well aware Tanahasi Coates has um aside from journalism and opinion journalism has also done a lot of writing he's got a couple novels out mm-hmm. uh one uh at least one nonfiction and or sorry, one fiction and at least one nonfiction. Cause I know he has at least three books, but I'm forgetting all of the titles and their details. Uh, and he's also known for having written a couple different comic books, including black Panther, black Panther and uh, captain America. And he's going to be directing or writing, probably writing the next Superman movie writing i think it's going to be a i don't i know it's a jj abrams joint i don't know if he's just producing it i hope he's just producing it um and also i don't know if it's the michael b jordan because there's another superman project in the works with michael b jordan as uh val zod the superman of earth 2 i do believe co-created by nicholas scott Ah. yeah uh yeah val zod showed up in earth 2 like 15 years ago the comic was just called earth 2 first off it was so good it was a phenomenal comic it had the alan scott green lantern uh who was in a relationship he was married to another man it it was a good book 
it was a really good book. Yeah. I haven't read it. Surprise. And the and the Valzod costume's like a color reverse. So it's all blue and like his cape is like yellow. It's it's a cool costume. It's a really mm. cool costume. Yeah. I should probably check it out. I I have only read his books, not none of his comics. Uh um, but I read Between the World and Me and then also The Water Dancer, which is his fiction one. And he has the most beautiful voice. Like, he, he is so articulate. And like he even, well, even in the nonfiction side, he like he really just paints a really wonderful picture uh, yeah. about the content that he's discussing. And so it's 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 just wonderful. And uh, and he, I he, is to I his- could, he is someone I can listen to talk all day long. I can just listen to him speak. Yeah, and he does actually have like physically have a great voice too, which only adds to his eloquence. Um, I love um I love intelligent interviews. One of the things that kind of drives me nuts about the daily is I mean it's good and it's bad, but like it's it's really hard to listen to interviews with a lay person versus, you know, a, a an educated uh, person, an expert in the topic of conversation because right. they, they just have a very different way of speaking and getting the point across because they, because they are experts in it versus when you're talking to a regular person. Um, like for example, today's episode of the daily, I was just getting really, really mad because the first half of the installment was uh, interviews, like brief interviews and conversations with uh owners and managers within the restaurant and hospitality industry who have bias, but maybe not informed takes who have some really shitty takes on stuff. Um, And it's, it's frustrating because you can tell that they're only looking at this issue from their perspective and how it's affecting them. And, and because they're (laughs) angry and hurt, they just feel like they can have all these opinions and between that and like being out in the real world today, uh, again, in restaurants and bars and shit, mm. uh, I read around lunchtime, I was like, if I have to hear the phrase, people just don't want to work anymore, I'm going to just start like kicking and punching in, in the air. And if you're in the way, then that's just what's going to happen. Oh, are you starting to get that now? Um. Well, what's funny well, is I had- Without getting somewhere... yourself in trouble with your job. No, no, no. What happened actually was I was- stopped for some lunch i was starving so i i pulled over somewhere it was a little sushi place with the little thing that way i could just get in and out um and some guy walks in and he's sitting down and they're talking and at for some reason they got into the conversation of like hiring people and the guy is saying well the guy behind the the counter is saying like yeah i we hired someone and they were supposed to start today and they never showed up and the guy who is sitting down, the, the patron at the sushi place is like, yeah, man, people are just lazy. They don't want to work. I'm like, and again, that was the topic of, of, of today's episode of the daily. And I'm just like, I, mm. it's just, it's infuriating. Um, luckily, if you get to the end of that episode of the daily, it's, they turn it around and they start talking to people, the people who don't want to come back to those jobs and why. And it is really, really nice to uh, hear people like remind remind the world we weren't supposed to want to come back to work because that's where everyone was dying right 
the whole reason the government is paying out this much money for unemployment is because we didn't want them to go to work. And now there's just all this outrage about how everyone just wants to be on the dole and be a slacker and have handouts. And that's, that's not what it is. It's not what it is. So I can't, it's just, it's frustrating. Huh. Uh, at any rate, the reason we wanted to talk about that interview is because that uh, naturally, like with anything featuring Ta-Nehisi Coates, it, it does tie back into comments, comics, and and the interviewer asks a couple questions about their uh, both Ta-Nehisi and Nicole uh, Hannah Jones what um, what books they recommend and how being writers and consumers of comics, like why it matters, why it's what influences it brings to the world and current events. Right. So do we start with that or do we start with the Scarlett Johansson and Disney thing? Uh, I feel like one adds more positive than the other. Yeah. So let's talk about Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll give the backstory on this. Uh, Black Widow got, first off, Black Widow got delayed for almost a year. Although one could argue that Black Widow got delayed by about five years because she probably should have had her own solo movie right around Civil War. Right. It was it was long overdue. <laughs> Way overdue. Uh, and I think personally that's one of the reasons why it got hindered. But um, anyway, they film it. And then a pandemic hits and it fucks everything up, uh, especially theaters and, and whatever. And you can't get mad about that. That is what it is. Um, <clears throat> it's finally announced that Black Widow is going to get a bumped theatrical date. But by then, Disney has started doing the day and date releases. They do the premiere access. Mm-hmm. They started with Mulan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically you pay, if you have a Disney Plus account, you pay 30 bucks and you get the movie the day it comes out theatrically. It doesn't hit traditional Disney Plus for like 60 days. And right. I know a lot of folks were like, that's such a ripoff, blah, 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 blah. And I already Not have for Disney families. Plus. Yeah, it's for families. Like if you have, if you're whatever, two parents, two kids, and they want to see Mulan, first off, it's actually cheaper Way to buy. Way more than 30 bucks, yeah. Yeah, and especially if you have kids, how many times are they going to want to watch Mulan? Or I forgot what the other premiere release was um, before Black Widow, but either was way. It Cru- was it Cruella? It was Cruella. <clears throat> it was Cruella. Um, if you have, I mean, hell, if it's your, if it's two parents, and even if it's one parent and one kid, in the long run, that's a steal for how many times your kid's going to want to see it. So whatever. I don't really have a big beef with Disney charging extra for these releases, even though you're already a subscriber. I get it. If you don't want to watch it, wait. Like, wait the two months and watch it when it becomes regular Disney Plus. Whatever. I don't give a shit about that. I think it's a pedantic argument. I think it's people that just want to be mad at Disney having another reason to be mad at Disney. But Sure. Yeah, yeah, you know what you got. Capital- capitalism's going to do what capitalism's going to do. Yeah, but in a weird way, that's actually a good deal. Again, if Mulan comes out and your kids are losing their mind, they want to see Mulan. You got two kids. You know, what? it's fucking cheaper than going to the theater. 
It's also a lot less effort. You can imagine like loading up your less... whole fucking family into the minivan yeah, you know and what? taking them down to the nearest Cinemark to, and then getting them yeah. out and getting them through the fucking concession stand without spending another million dollars and they're That's screaming it. and you know crying. What? And, and you... then you got to get them to sit down and shut up and watch the damn movie. Yeah. How much is that emotional labor worth to you? It's like when you're like, I could make that. And someone says like, yeah, but how much is your time worth? You know what? What's cheaper is buying premiere access. And now we're doing a fucking ad for Disney plus you buy premiere <laughs> access. You buy your two liter bottle of Coke from your local grocery store. You put in some microwave popcorn, you throw some candy at them. And then you, and then you know what? You order pizza hut. You order pizza. And you know what? You go do something else. Granted, like I think I mean, you may want to Black Widow is probably Whatever. a little bit older demographic, but yeah. But if I had a bunch of friends that were like dying to see Black Widow, and none of us felt safe to go to a theater, and I said, "Hey, look, all of you, chip in five bucks, and I'll buy it." We all hang out. We order a six pack. We order pizza, and we all watch. You know, we all watch David Harbor with a Russian accent. Awesome. <laughs> so that's what happened. <clears throat> And what's interesting is that it had it had pretty huge opening numbers. It broke pandemic box office records. Yeah, and its premiere access numbers were good. It made like sixty million dollars on premiere access numbers. Uh, but the problem is that, um, and I, I learned that this is something that has gotten pretty common: is actors. Uh, and they used uh, Robert Downey Jr. as an example. Actors will agree to a smaller paycheck to make them make and be in the movie, but as part of the contract, they are getting back end money through box office. So they're going to take home a percentage of box office. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so when you you have one product and you are splitting it into two different delivery methods, but she I'm only, only getting paid office. for this one. And and it's already an environment where the market is um what's the word? Um it's not down. saturated, it's no it pushed down. It's it's uh, suppressed. The market is already suppressed. suppressed. Yeah. Um that's that is money that you are losing. Sure. Because you 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 agree to less now, more later. Right. And it's um and by less now, we mean she agreed to $20 million up front. Uh, right. All things <clears throat> being relative. Um, and by the way, everyone takes that deal now because of Jack Nicholson and uh, the 89 Batman movie. Because he only took like $5 million for that. But part of his contract is he got 5% of the movie. Damn. That's oh, a lot. Jack, Jack Nicholson made, because no one had ever done that before. They were like, why would he do that? Because he knew. He actually considers that his greatest role ever as the Joker. He's gone on to say that is my greatest role ever. Something about that script, he knew this is going to blow up. So he took $5 million and 5%. Like, he made stupid money. He still makes it. He still makes money off Burton's Batman 89. Good for um, him. Yeah. So there's a few things to address, I feel like. First, like... I think its opening weekend was strong. It did what seventy? Did eighty million domestic? I don't have it, those numbers. So I think let me, I, let me remember. I think it did. I think it did eighty million domestic. It did sixty million premiere on Disney Plus, and it did another like seventy million international. 
That's a decent opening. That sounds about right. I know I saw the numbers. It's um, a decent opening. It's it's not bad, but by the letter of the contract, right? We'll get to that. It's it's not what was agreed to, and and there there is some sort of verbiage in the contract that says like if you know the movie can't release, or I, I think maybe this was like addendum paperwork after you know it could not be released in the initial at the, at the um, originally intended release date because of COVID. Um, they, they, you know, they were supposed to come together and in any, any changes to the release of the film were supposed to be mutually agreed upon. Yeah. And, and uh, Scarlett Johansson's lawyers are saying that they, they did in fact try to communicate and coordinate with Disney on this change of release format and that they were not responded to. Right. I mean, the big issue is that during pretty much all of 2020, the only thing Disney made money off of was Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did crazy numbers. Like, they're, they're, they projected something like, they projected something like they were hoping for something like 20 million subscribers by 2025. Like, they hit that in 2020. Right. The, the Disney Plus is probably the only thing that was really helped by the pandemic. Well, I, I think any streaming, HBO Max, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, they all got kind of in a weird way helped by the pandemic. Here's mm-hmm. the problem is that all of the money that board members, stockholders, and CEOs receive is 100% based on stocks and shareholder dividends. And that's only paid when your stock goes up. And Disney stock took a tank when the parks closed because – I know a lot of people see that like, you know, the Avengers makes a billion dollars. They have all these things. The fact is Disney's profit comes from the parks straight up. Like everything else makes money, but it's profit comes from the parks. It really, really does. And when that was gone, Disney's profit was fucking gone. Um, There was a time during the pandemic where Disney was losing $13 million a day. And that's, you think, oh, it's a multi-billion dollar company, but that's a still a stupid amount of money, even if you are Disney. And when Disney Plus starts to stretch its legs, that improve the stock numbers, which even though the stock market is complete bullshit, it's a fantasy in 100%. There's no basis in reality to the stock market. It's, um, it's monopoly with real world consequences. Yeah, totally. But the thing is, when Disney Plus started cranking in numbers, the shareholders... The board members and the CEOs start getting paid and paid well. Mm-hmm. So then there's the argument of like, all right, were you more worried that Black Widow was going to tank theatrically? Or did you feel like this is the return of the MCU? How many people can we get onto Disney Plus with the return of the MCU? Yeah, we'll put it theatrical, but how many how many pockets of our own can we fill by doing this right that's the shady shit and that's what that's what a lot of the speculation seems to be based around is like they thought that it was going to be a good way to continue to boost their subscriber numbers 100 percent um and i mean already for many many months now there's been a lot of like oh netflix is going down because you know xyz streaming cert platforms are are taking away their their subscribership and then pulling it over to theirs, you know, which Disney isn't which isn't true. One of them, but yeah, 
No, no. I don't know anyone who canceled Netflix to have Disney yeah. Plus Net- or Netflix Paramount big- Plus or any of them, really. Netflix's biggest problem right now is it has no massive IP. That's why Netflix is putting out a movie every week. They're trying to get an IP. Whatever. They're putting out some good stuff, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my Better God. than Amazon and the fucking Tomorrow War, which is just unwatchable. Your, unwatchable. Um, your Klingon poster behind you <laughs> when you when you move at certain points, it um it activates the facial recognition right over your shoulder. So it like, yeah. it's like I'm like, oh my god, there's someone behind you. Um <clears throat> it's it's okay. It's it's uh it's it's core. It's fine. It's protective, protective uh yeah. Klingon ghost. Um uh, now I've totally derailed nice. myself. Uh, everyone's saying Netflix is dead because of other streamers. Right, right. And that's, I don't see that. I mean, I I don't sit around like following the numbers that they make, their revenue or their subscribership or whatever. But I just like in real world context, I don't believe that for a minute. No, also Netflix's subscriber numbers are still like double everyone else. Like their numbers are stupid. They're high. They're so high. To date, I believe everything is Netflix and. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? No one still says Disney Plus and chill or Hulu and chill. (laughs) It's still right. like in a weird way, Netflix is becoming the Kleenex or Xerox or Jello of streaming. Like, what'd you want? Uh, 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 you know, Netflix. Was it really I on mean, Netflix? Actually, I don't know. Yeah. They were the first ones. Yeah. Maybe um, not the first ever in terms of streaming because they did start out with that whole disc exchange situation. They weren't, but they were the first one to make it work. Yeah, they were the first ones to go like mainstream with it and yeah. actually like have a presence in the market. 100%. So, I don't know. In the end, here's and we're going to we'll dive more into it and Bex brought something up which is a whole other conversation. But in the end, my thoughts are this. A, like I will admit I haven't seen Black Widow yet. I've been told it's one of the best Marvel movies ever, but Every time I talk to an MCU fan, like, it's the best one ever. I'm like, is it really? Because you say that every time one comes out. Okay. Um, but I have talked to people that are actually very critical of MCU films. that are like, it's a solid spy action thriller. Like, it, it hits is those it? targets. And it happens to just be an MCU movie. But, like, if it was that good, its domestic box office wouldn't have dropped so fast. And here's the problem I have. I feel bad that I'm now like ripping on the MCU's first like woman focused film because I want it to knock well, out no. the park. No, there's already oh, Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah. Oh, that did Gangbusters. Then okay, well then whatever. Now <laughs> I don't feel bad. This one's th- only the second. I I think from a narrative stance, the thing that hurt Black Widow the most has nothing to do with the pandemic or Disney Plus. It's that it came out when we already fucking know what happens to her. There's no real emotional investment in her anymore. Right. And, and also Scarlett Johansson has, has made a lot of poor. He's not helping her brand. Career moves and statements. And, and that does not make her the type of actor that I actively want to support. There's other actors where I'm like, I'll go see anything they're in. I'll, I will stream whatever. I don't even care if it's a sort of, uh, license or product like you know like uh what's the word it could be like a genre genre or a style of film i don't even like but i'm like but they're in it i'm in whatever yeah 
everyone has that performer. She ain't right. one of them. She is not. Um, I don't think she's ever has been. There was a time where incredibly gross and sexist dudes were like, I'm going to see her in anything because she's got huge cans. Because there was a time where everyone just wanted to see her naked. Like that was why people went, is she going to be naked in this one? Which is gross. But yes. at, I don't take this at, here's the thing. She actually is a good actor. I think she's got a lot of skill. I think she's very good. Um, but for me, the thing that really kind of turned me off to her as a performer and it's Ghost in the Shell? It's Ghost in the Shell. Like, and actually, and Cable has talked about this before, where like, you know what? Even if she had stuck with the casting, there is a story to be told where a white woman wakes up in the soul of a Japanese woman's body. He's like, there's a story there where you wake up and be like, what did you do to me? I'm not even, I don't look like my mom anymore. Like you took everything from me. And you've made me this like blonde white woman. Right. I mean, you could could argue that um, carbon altered carbon is that. Sure. But they didn't do that. She's still the major and the major is a Japanese woman. And not only that, but when people challenged her on it, she doubled down. She's like, well, I'm a woman, so I should be allowed to do whatever, whatever I want. It's, It's still empowering. And I'm like, no, this is the type of feminism that makes she pulled that white uh, feminism makes, shit. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um uh Sack in the chat pointed out uh, that they reject the idea that stories lack weight once you know how the characters die. And I, I do want to address that because I know that I very early on was like, Yeah, I'm not excited about Black Widow. <laughs> I already know what happens to her. But I think I think again that, that was that was a shorthand for me not being prepared to or aware enough to articulate that I just am not invested in Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And and to oh. a to a to a secondary but not necessarily lesser degree. I'm also not that invested in Black Widow because she's <clears throat> the character has not really they didn't give her enough development over the course of the 10 years that she was in the MCU. And and now and now, way way later, you want to give me a movie to tell me more about her her life? I'm like, yeah, but that, all of this is over now. That's funny because um, and years before you joined the show, way back in the day, it was Scott and myself and Keelan. We reviewed the first Avengers movie, mm-hmm. and we actually got like a lot of pushback from people who are now very loyal listeners of being like oh my God, there's finally a woman in a superhero movie and you just discredit her. You talk about how she doesn't matter. And like, we had to respond to it. We're like, you guys don't understand. We all actually know Black Widow from the comics. We're annoyed that they didn't fucking do enough with her. Yeah, she'd always been sort of in the background. Even when she got, she's- She got Whedon. That was the thing about when you give Whedon the Avengers, they have seen so, oh, Whedon can do women characters. No, we can't. Even, even until the very end, once it, once we get to Civil War and Endgame, even as like the, the de facto leader of the remaining Avengers, it's just, it's just flat. She, mm-hmm. they, they never wrote for her, wrote for her well. They never gave her as much screen time as she deserved. And she also never got a fucking origin story seven to 10 years ago when it would have actually been appropriate and made her matter to us more in the long run. Yeah. You could have, and now we're just rewriting the MCU. (laughs) I honestly feel like 
you could have placed the Black Widow movie after Avengers uh, Infinity War when she's the only one keeping the Avengers together. She, Natasha still believes in the dream of the Avengers. Half the world is gone, but she's like, we have to do better. That scene where she's basically running the war room and like she talks to uh, what's her name in Wakanda and there's like, do you need help? And she's like, no, we've got this. She's like, are you sure? We've got this. Like, there's the movie, right? If you want to even throw her past, you want to have her go back to Russia. Great. Right. But like, like how, how, there's how it ties the movie. in. Mm-hmm. She should have had just... a movie between Infinity War and Endgame. That's where I think it would have played the strongest. And again, I don't know that I'm necessarily like supporting what Sack said or uh, all this to say, like it's a myriad of things. The character was done a disservice from the beginning. They waited too long to put this movie out. And also Scarlett Johansson has lost a lot of her goodwill within the the fan community. Yeah. Um, and, and and all that boils over to you know what I'm I'm not gonna pay thirty bucks to see this on no on Disney you know Plus, what I'll so. I'll watch it when it comes regular Disney Plus. That all being said, in terms of contracts and going forward, Disney done her wrong. Disney done Scarlett Johansson yes, dirty. They, they that's the thing. They tried this to is, loophole her. Yeah, this is the aliens versus predator of the modern contract. No matter who wins, we lose. But. As much as I don't personally like Scarlett Johansson because of choices she's made. And statements that she's put out. uh, As she's right. Disney fucked them over. Disney is in breach of contract. Mm -hmm. Well, and I know that Emma Stone, uh, you know, who did Cruella and they did the same sort of situation. uh, They, she was asked if she was considering doing this as well. And she said that she was weighing her options. The difference being Scarlett Johansson is done with Disney. I guarantee you they they have the contract oh, is over. Black she Black has, Widow like, is they Black don't Widow want is her dead. anymore. Right. Scarlett um, Johansson as Black Widow is dead, dead, dead. But I just mean like even before the lawsuit, I'm sure that like on paper they had no more uh plans for an ongoing relationship, Disney and uh, Scarlett. I don't know. Death means nothing in the MCU anymore. Because of Loki and Vision. But if she thought that she had an opportunity to continue to have that character and play it, play, portray that character, do you, don't you think she would have? Oh, I see. I see what you mean. She read, the and that's what I'm saying. It's like that... Emma Stone. Emma Stone is in a good place professionally. They've already greenlit Cruella too. I mean, yeah. So she's not going to harm that professional relationship. Uh, no, you're right. I'm sure Scarlett read without... the script and went like. Florence Pugh's a new Black Widow, then fuck it. Maybe. I don't know exactly what the, like, what the feelings behind that were. I just suspect that, like, their business relationship was coming to an end, and that's why she felt comfortable, you know, taking this action. Whereas other actors, you know, like, once, once you try to sue Mickey Mouse chances are good they're not going to want to work with you anymore and that's a huge that's a that's a huge fish if you can get it you don't want to fucking let go of that there is there is one potential thing on the horizon and it's been into that but who knows what will happen and unfortunately this is the one that could create the change within disney honoring contracts is that now it could potentially be a man going after them but there are rumblings that 
Dwayne Johnson is not happy about the dual release of Jungle Book. Mm. And Disney is in the Dwayne Johnson market. His ex-wife, Danny Garcia, who produces all his shit. It's actually kind of amazing. Like he and Danny, his wife, got a divorce like 15 years ago. Then they formed a production company. Did not know that. Oh, yeah. So whenever you see anything that he does that says produced by Danny Garcia, that's his ex-wife. Like they do everything together except except sleep together. Like he's shown pictures of their mixed family. He's like, here's my ex and her husband and their kids and our kids and my wife and our kids. Yeah, they do everything together. Um, There are rumors that he is not happy with the dual release. And my own fandom aside, you don't piss off the rock. There we go. See, that, uh, yeah, I don't want it to to turn into this conversation about like, well, these are women and he's a man. But what I what I do see here is that, yeah, The Rock, he has leverage, and if if he is, he is displeased with something that magnet. Disney has done, he yeah. can throw some weight around. Yeah, Emma Stone. Last... Mm, I don't know. I not don't bad, know. But not bad, but. No, like there's she's, no she's, like, she's young, beautiful, and a good actress, but those are not rare. No. They, they, you could easily replace Emma Stone with another and, woman. And, 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 uh, I, that sounds so shitty to say, but... No, uh, it's... Mm, filmmakers will just find a different, beautiful, young woman. Yeah, there's only this, one The Rock Johnson. Yeah, and here's the thing. This is actually not... I'm going to go back on the movie thing here for a little bit. Movie history... This is not always a men always have more power in Hollywood in terms of stardom. That's for the most part, that is true. But there was a time in the nineties, you didn't dare piss off Julia Roberts or you were fucking done. She's America's fucking sweetheart. Yeah, no, it's all about star power. And regardless of how you feel about Dwayne Johnson for the past few years, he is the number one earning man globally he just is like he makes money. There was a time that it was Tom Cruise. There was a time that it was Jim Carrey. There was a time that it was Julia Roberts. Like that's how this shit goes. Actors so who are if, a brand unto themselves. Yeah. You say that you've got, yeah, there, it happens. You say that you've got, you know, 20 years ago, if you, 15 years ago, you said that Tom Cruise in your movie, you could just add 40 million to your box office like that, like straight up global box office. We're attaching $40 million to it. Julia Roberts was the same way. Back in the day, it was like Jim Carrey. Right now, it's Dwayne Johnson. Like, you mm-hmm. just, he just means money. Um, but going back to it, like, Disney's in the wrong here. And everyone who listens to the show knows that I'm a big Disney nerd, but I can still call it as what it is. And as much as I don't like Scarlett Johansson, I hope she wins because contracts need to be honored. Well, and this is so weird to to look at it this way, but <clears throat> Disney is still a corporation and actors are still individuals. And something that was brought up in the chat earlier that I, I'm glad I didn't like lose track of. Um, once you start establishing, like once you lay down the precedent for like what you know like defending the rights of actors hopefully that can open the door and pave the road for you know defending 
the financial rights of other people who help create a film when or any licensed product when when that product continues to make profit in multiple different arenas yeah so we're talking writers and artists and creators yeah all all of the different creators there's so many hundreds of people that are involved in the making of a movie but really a lot of the time we're only ever talking about like the directors and producers and the actors yeah, and I and, get and like sometimes the writers, if they're like a big deal writer, right? But I I get what I think what she's saying is that like all of these billion dollar franchises, especially within superhero stuff, they all came from folks that put in time in the trenches and work for hire. And I know there's the argument of like we did work for hire. It's not your thing, okay? Maybe not from a legal stance, it's not. But morally, like there are people who have created characters that now Disney or Paramount or Sony are making billions of dollars on and they're running GoFundMes to cover their medical bills. Mm-hmm. Like the guy who created Rocket Raccoon. Thankfully, like James Gunn, other fans stepped in, but like, it's just bullshit. It's just... Yeah. You, if, it, it, how can you create something that is making other people millions and millions. and you are scraping to to just be alive? Yeah, and I know it's all like we'll have a better contract or whatever, but that's that's a that's a callous way to look back at it now. There is a moral responsibility that I feel like these major film studios have to do more than give them special thanks right before the Teamsters credit in the ending credits of any superhero film right now. Like none of these things happen without these creators. They just don't. I'm reminded of a picture that a uh, friend of the show, uh, uh, Ben Dewey drew like five years ago. He drew this picture of this one writer and artist, like pulling like, like on yokes, like mules pulling a wagon. And then the wagon had every corporation, every merchandising, every cosplayer, everything on this one wagon as they're pulling it forward. I'm like, here comes your entertainment, Uh, you know? And like that piece of art that he did at first, beautiful because Ben Dewey, um, Mm -hmm. but also like 100% true. And these studios keep coming back to that. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Sack is also giving another example uh, Ed Brubaker has stated that he earns more from the residuals from appearing on screen in Captain America 2 than he than he made for writing the story that the movie is based on in the first place. Yeah, no, he's That's- 100% right. I, uh, actually, if you guys can find Ed Brubaker's... Uh, well, he was on Fat Man on Batman about two months ago. So find the episode with Ed Brubaker. It's, it's wonderful. Um, um, and then uh, our friend Greg Rucka... Uh, whose version of Wonder Woman inspired the film. But I think the only thing he got for that was a thank you in the credits. Yep. Yeah. Um, the the creator, uh, Len Wynn, he created, uh, he's created many combo characters. He's still with us. Um, he created for DC many characters, but his most, po- his most quote, famous character he made for DC is uh, Lucius Fox played by Morgan Freeman in the Nolan films, the guy who basically runs Wayne Enterprises. Yeah. Uh, He's also created a little-known character you might have heard of in Marvel called Wolverine. Oh, shit. 
He makes more money on residuals for Lucius Fox than he does Wolverine. Which is weird because Wolverine has had a lot more film, like on screen and, time. And granted, it has to do with the it has to do with his contracts and whatnot. Right. But that is Wolverine has carried the Fox mutant franchise for almost twenty years. Uh, but Len Wen makes more money when Morgan Freeman says, "Don't tell me, Mister Wayne." Like, <laughs> you know, so. Mm. I Sorry, hope, I was just catching up with comments. I hope chat. Scarlett Johansson wins, if only because I personally feel that Disney is doing wrong by her contract, and her winning will have repercussions in the future for people who don't make $25 million a movie. And, uh, and you know, if, if people don't like that, then make investors star in the movies and see how much you like that. Yeah. All right, I'll be right back again. Just uh, why, don't we just, why don't we just take a pause? Let's take a pause. We'll be right back. Well, this is clearly the perfect place to take a break for our sponsors. First up, Bridge City Comics. They are one of Portland's greatest comic book shows. <laughs> shows. Stores. They do put on a good show, I guess, but mainly store. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Um, like one of the... <sighs> I'm trying to think here. So there's all these like, you know, yeah, the superhero movies and there's closers comics based on superhero movies and blah, 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 blah. That's where the superhero movie comes from. But, like, there was the Ghostbusters trailer, like the new one that dropped last week or whatever. Um, there's actually fantastic Ghostbusters comics. In fact, it's some of, like, the strongest Ghostbusters storytelling ever, which I know is weird because, like, Aaron, there's only been three movies so far. But um, the IDW Ghostbusters series is fantastic. Like, it has its own kind of comic continuity. And then they did, like, a crazy crossover that involved, like, the animated real Ghostbusters and then Ghostbusters answered the call and then along with the live action, it was bonkers, and it's great, and it's so self-referential. Anyway, that's just one of the fantastic comics you can get that are connected to many of the films that we are watching today. Uh, because comics is where the story always happens first, and you always buy your comics first at Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. Uh, when you're there, maybe set up a subscription box, that way you never forget a title. It's a great way to never miss anything. There's a lot of good books coming out. You can ask them to put it on ahead of time. And that way you don't miss it. It's fantastic. And that can all be done at Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland. Or also find them online. I don't know why I said it that way at BridgeCityComics.com. And then before we get back to it, our longest sponsor, Guardian Games. They have all the gaming supplies you might ever need. Uh, they also have like a lot of stuff for, you know, obviously like Warhammer miniatures and models and paints. They do have a small selection of, uh, Gundam models. So if that's your jam, uh, Guardian Games does have some Gundam models, Gundam models there in the back. I just saw them a few days ago and it reminded me to talk about them. And there was a time that I would have really gotten into that, but I can only pull off so many hobbies. Uh, but apparently, uh, Geek in the City's own, uh, Denise Espinosa at one time, she was into the Gundam life. So you can ask her about that. Other will probably annoy her. Ask her anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Guardian Games has all the gaming supplies you might need. Uh, they are making masks mandatory again. So, which I think is good because the more we mask up, the more gamers will still be around. Um, and also, it's just a good thing to do. So, you are required to mask up to enter Guardian Games. They are still having some limited in-store gaming 
for kind of like official events, not like you can't just pop in and play. Um, I think Monday night is uh, uh, casual magic night. Uh, I do believe Wednesdays is um, Warhammer Casual League, and then Friday is Friday Night Magic with Draft and all that stuff. So three nights a week, they do have in-store gaming, but it's uh, still done in a very controlled manner, and you must be masked up. That way, you can enjoy your games for many, many years to come, and we can enjoy Guardian games for many, many years to come. And while you are in there, through your mask, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. Find them. At 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, Guardian Games. <clears throat> this is the part where I'm on my own on the show and you all can watch with me. Wrong. I'm here too. Ah! <laughs> and welcome back to issue 608 of Geek in the City Radio. Well, I can't remember the last time we had a break. This actually will make the commercials much more easier to find. Yay! Which, by the way, I hope you all enjoyed the opening where I talked about Wandering Monster, our newest sponsor. Right, Denise? Our newest sponsor. Be like, yeah, that was cool. Yeah! It's a great new spot for a great new sponsor. Way to sell it. Sorry, I, uh, I, it's like sad to admit, but I, I don't really listen to the show anymore. Well, you should at least listen I to just, the opening. I the should, I should. I, I used to religiously play back every every issue, even if I wasn't in it, just to if I was in it, just to you know pick up on things I missed. Because mm-hmm, uh, because well, because doing a podcast is, involves a bit of multitasking, and then oh, of I course know. for episodes that I wasn't around for, that I could see what I missed out on, which is always like, oh man, what a good time that was. You're like, oh, it doesn't um, involve me. Who cares? No, I'm saying the opposite. I know. Um, Are you? But that. It, it's it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. I know. It's, that's fine. Even you don't listen back to them, so I don't want to hear it. Well, that's not true, but okay. I thought you didn't. I thought you knew how to edit without playing the whole thing back. I still listen back after I edit it to make sure I didn't screw anything up. Very well. Because I have accidentally muted the entire show once, and when you render it when it's muted, it I, there was an episode once where it was the opening, and then 40 minutes, and then the commercials, and then 40 minutes. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Was that before my time? No, no. I caught it and edited it and changed it. It was not. It was during your time. Oh, it wasn't recorded on mute. Oh, no. I had to re-upload. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So should we jump into our next topic? I think I think we've we've uh we've said anything that could be said about the Disney yeah. Star Joe situation. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is not a good person, but she's also right. Which yep. is actually a really good segue into some of the things that were discussed in our next uh in our next topic. Take it away. Uh so again, as we discussed uh at the top of the show, um we uh we Many of us have now have since listened to this episode that aired on uh, the New York Times The Daily podcast, uh, opinion piece between Ested Hearns, uh, ta Coates, and uh, <clears throat> Nicole Hannah-Jones. Oh, my God. I can't believe I already forgot it. Um, uh, yes, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yeah. Um, uh, Ested interviewed them because they are both about to be or are currently uh, professors at Howard University. Um and amongst some, one of the many things that they discussed was the 
the role that comics plays in um, in journalism, so to speak. Right. Um, which, you know, without like trying to like inflate us too much, it's just kind of what we do here. We, we, we yep. take in as much pop culture as we can and dissect how it is affecting or how it reflects upon the real world that we're living in right now. Right. And um, and if there's anyone who is a master of that art, it would be Ta-Nehisi Coates. For sure. Yes. And yeah. I, I don't want to take away anything from, or I don't want to like diminish the value that having uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones in this interview had. It was, she had, she had very, valid and interesting things to say but i am i'm such a fan and familiar with tanahasi that i definitely like hone in a lot more on the things that he has to say yeah i think that you and i both know tanahasi coats more than than her mm-hmm. we're just more familiar with his work so yes this is the first time that i've actually heard of her work or the mm-hmm. 1619 project at least directly oh, really? i know that Yes, yes. I, I mean, I, I, I gleaned that um, it ties into a lot of like what people are referring to as critical race theory right now, which is something I'm not well versed in to begin with. But AKA teaching America's real history. You just don't like it. Yeah. And that was a huge part of what this conversation was is the, the way in which people refuse to acknowledge or accept factual parts about American history, whereas all, all that they want to do, Nicole and Tanahasi, is to, to just like, to just lay it out there that like, without acknowledging black enslavement, you cannot have the story of, you know, like America's birth. Right. The, the really good example that, uh, that one of them gave was, you know, in Germany, they were able to just shove all the Nazi shit in a box and then act like it didn't happen, right? Like, just just make it go away. Um, because it was a period in their history. And they can they can try to move but, away from that. But they didn't but, make it go away. They, like, looked at bold in the face. Right, right. I just, I just mean, like, in terms of, like, the foundation of your country. Right. If you try to ignore or or erase uh enslavement uh and and the foundations that it has in in or the 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 impact that it has on the foundation of this country you cannot tell the story of how this country was founded but that's what people have been trying to do for the last 230 years is is build this narrative of how great america is how how wonderful and magnificent the founding fathers were. Um, but just kind of skirt around the fact that, you know what, they had the the means and resources to do a lot of what they did because they had free labor. Right. That helped them build their individual empires and fortunes that freed them up to be these political leaders, essentially. Right. The, the thing that they also touched upon and that I, I think we'll do on this podcast because we're a, we're still like a nerd podcast is that the the podcast host like talked about talk with Tanahisi Coates about how 
the impact of superheroes on the American psyche, the American mythology is very important. It is not just, oh, it's kids reading comics and men and women in tights punching each other. It's so much more than that. So, Go ahead. Yeah. She wrote it down, and I can share that with everyone, for, you know, for anyone who hasn't heard it, or just to like get a baseline on what we're the the part that we're honing in on here. Yeah, read it. Yeah. And so Estad Hearns asks, "What are you trying to make it possible for people to imagine?" Um, and I'll I'll sk- skip over a chunk of this because it's not a direct answer; it's more like a, a prelude to the answer. Um, but the 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 meat of of what we're looking at here today is he says. Okay, this is this is rude to say, but I got to say it. There are people I realize that I can never get to because their imagination is already formed and no amount of facts can dislodge them. Their kids, however, their kids are still deciding and still being influenced in and, and figuring out what are the boundaries of humanity in the world that they live in. That is an ongoing battle. And mm-hmm. this sounds small, but there's a reason that in 1962 they raised the Confederate flag in North Carolina because the symbols actually matter because they communicate something about the imagination and in the imagination is where policy happens. And that is, again, like one of the most beautiful ways I've ever heard of saying like, children of the future. You, when you put these positive, equitable, realistic worldviews into young people's field of view you know early and often it it creates a different perspective of what the world is and and what people deserve and and going back to what Tanahasi said like it our 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 nation's history is built on the idea that this number of people were the ones who decided who is a human and who is not Right. And, and, and if you're going to fix that, to, you know, whatever, whatever iteration it exists in today, you have to do it from an early point. And, and that's why he got into comics is because he recognizes that that's, that's where you influence change. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing he talked about when he was a child growing up, and I can I kind of relate to this. I don't know, like Denise, you didn't read up, you didn't grow up reading superhero comics, so your your mileage varies. But like, all the superheroes that myself and like Tanahisi Coates grew up with were were white. Um, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Spider Man, like all of them, they're 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 white people, and yet we still found the inspiration in them. We had to we had to see ourselves within them beyond their skin color and you know the, I've said this many times like the bulk of my moral compass it didn't it didn't come from church it didn't come from the bible it came from superheroes like it really did DC and Marvel were my moral compass not not the bible and that might offend family members who still for some reason listen to the show with me not that I'm discrediting the religious teachings, but my moral compass came from superheroes. So imagine if you could keep telling those stories now, but put them in people who look like 
the readers. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's great that I don't think it's Ta-Nehisi Coates, but I think it's great that like Michael B. Jordan is doing Val Zod that we're going to get. I want Ta-Nehisi Coates to write his version of Superman. I'm glad that there's probably going to be a black Superman. I love that DC now, and granted it's through future tense or whatever. Batman's always going to be Bruce Wayne forever. That's not going to go away. And I got no beef with that, but I like that DC is like, also we're going to have this black kid be Batman now. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that in the DC future, Wonder Woman is a is a Mexican woman. It, it's Yolanda. Like I, it's a, like I'm 45 years old, and I saw the drawing that Joel Jones did of the future state Wonder Woman with like brown skin and brown hair and brown eyes, and I like there was a part of me that was moved by that, and I should be well past that. Apparently, I'm not. Like, so I'm glad. I think the point that Tana Easy Coates is trying to make, or at least how I read into it, is that these superheroes matter in terms of their morals and what they stand for and the inspiration they provide for the readers. And um, they don't have to be white dudes to do it. And the backlash we're getting, I think, is that for 80 years, they have always been white guys and that is what it is and now that they're slowly not becoming white guys the people who grew up with them the the and i and i'm trying not to bash on white people that's not what i'm doing here actually i'm actually trying to enforce their own anyway i'll get to it i think i, I think i see what you're saying it's All that right, I, I, it's I, like okay you spent 80 years having superman be like a white guy he has inspired you you looked at superman for 80 years or whatever your your father your grandfather your great-grandfather whatever looked at the last son of krypton and in a way saw themselves he had your skin color whatever um and maybe now he's not going to and you're mad about that why are you mad about that his his more his morality his ethics have not changed he just looks different now, and now he's going to get a background that maybe you're not familiar with. But try to imagine the last 80 years if you didn't look the way you looked. If you were a black kid from Cleveland, you're a Mexican kid from L.A., you're an indigenous kid in North Dakota, and you Your all Your heroes bond. never look like you. Your heroes never look like you, but you know what? They were still your heroes. Mm-hmm. So... Why is it any different now that certain creators are now changing the ethnicity? Because the message is still there. And if you embrace it, it makes us all better. It strengthens all of us. So let that happen. Right. Um, I mean, I think part of the problem is that the people who are upset about these characters now looking like someone else like the, the the problem is they those individuals it was never about like the fact that the heroes looked like them was never part of the thought process it was just a given this world was made for them and mm-hmm. i'm going to start sounding really radicalized right now but everything about our culture and society for for 90% of the time that this country has been in existence 
was built for, by, and, you know, around whiteness. Yeah. And, and so you don't even have to think about it. It's, it's, it's already for you. And because there's no effort being made to appreciate the, the, the intended value of the, the product, mm-hmm. you're going to take away the wrong message and you're not going to think about the fact that they look like you or not. It's just a given that they do. And now they're mad because when, because, because, because now that it's different, not only does it not look like them, now that is, I think that that's making them more aware of the message that they, they lost sight of ages ago if they ever had it to begin with. Yeah. These are, we, yeah. We talk it a was, lot about like the people who are mad because it seems like the only thing they really care about when they, when they say that they're a Star Wars fan is, is the pew pew and the fighter jets. Even worse when it's Star Trek. Because there's not a lot of that. Yeah, they're, they they are fans for the wrong reasons to begin with, and now yeah. that <laughs> and now that it's it's being made to potentially appeal to or or relate to anyone that is not them, now it's being taken away. Yeah, and it's not like, and I'll add that like more work is being done now towards that, and that's a good thing. Uh, but but spoilers to grumpy old comic fans. It's not new. I, I saw someone complain a few days ago about how they're done with Captain America. He's too woke. He's too doesn't he no longer believes in the American ideal. Blah 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 blah. And then someone like hold on, Bean, I'll get to it. Don't worry. <laughs> someone posted a picture from a Captain America comic from like the late '60s, early '70s, where. President Nixon, during the height of the Vietnam War, is acting is asking Steve Rogers, I, I need you to have our back, man. Like, we're getting our ass kicked in Vietnam, and we've got these protesters, basically, and I'm paraphrasing badly. And Steve Rogers tells him, no. And Nixon's like, do you, we not, shouldn't be there in the do you not believe in the American ideal? And Steve Rogers is like, 100%, which is why I'm telling you no. Like, you... This is wrong. I refuse to step in line. And and that's why I, I love that quote that so far amazingly has not been attempted to be co-opted by the right wing. It's that scene where, and this was only a few years ago, where Captain America gives a speech of like, it doesn't matter if you are facing hundreds of people who are telling you this is the way the world should be. Step in line. This is the will this is it. He's like, if you know in your heart that it's wrong because it oppresses people, it makes the world a darker place. He's like, if you know that that's wrong, your responsibility is to look that mass in the eye and say, no, you move. That's Captain America. That's why I, I love Tanahisi's run on Captain America. I actually think it's someone who has such a wonderful understanding of the of America's horrible past of enslavement. I mean, fuck, if I'm a Marvel editor, it's a no-brainer to hire someone like that to write Captain America. There's right. no one better to write Captain America. There's no one better to write Superman than that. Superman, right. by the way, written, created by two Jewish immigrants who were escaping oppression in Europe, just or their family were. Just Spoilers, yeah. superheroes have always been Atifa. 
They have always been anti-oppression and fascism since day one. Always. Yeah. And I, I, that speaks a lot to, um, or it, it, it kind of brings it back around to, again, like a lot of what Tana Hussey was talking about. By the way, it, it is Tana Hussey. We've been saying it wrong oh all my this God, time. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was too. I always thought it was Tanahisi, but I've never heard it out loud. Apparently, I've only read it, and uh, they they have a whole yeah. com- like they have a whole commentary about it in this episode because Nicole yeah. didn't know what how it was either. It is Tanahisi. To his uh, credit, he's really cool about it. He's like, it's fine. It happens. Yeah, yeah, he totally is. Um, I mean, my last I'm name, going. my full name is technically supposed to be Aron Durat. No one calls me that. Even I don't call you that. It's I know. Well, wouldn't it be weird at this point? Yes. If I was speaking to you in Spanish, I would. Yeah, that's true. But I, I have a hard time mixing the yeah, tongues. You're bad at, you're, yeah. Yeah, my Spanglish has no accent, even though I'm flipping back and forth. Not the point. <clears throat> I know. I've heard you um, talk to your mom. <laughs> um, comics has has always been about calling out the things that we're doing wrong. At least, you know, like a lot of the classic superheroes. That's- well, not wrong. Comic has always presented a problem that has shown how is how we can be better. I mean, there's, I mean, isn't there like a bunch of stuff about like Superman used to like, you know, take down slumlords and... Yeah, why is that him being wrong? It's him seeing slumlords and being like, you should lower the rent on these people. And the slumlords are no. like, no. He's like, off the building, you go. Right. No, no, no. I'm not saying the superheroes are wrong. I'm saying like a lot of the classic superhero stories were a way of talking about the way that American culture, like our, our, the, the way that we are, do, like the way that we as a society are failing. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a period during the 50s to about the mid-60s where it was all goofy shit, but that was the sure. comics code created by someone who was obsessed with young boys reading comics and making them all gay. Right, right. They yeah. they all, uh, they were misconstruing the, the message, again, which is like a lot, but continues to be part of the problem. And that's yeah, why... No, <clears throat> Seduction of the Innocent did more damage to the comics industry than anything, than the direct oh, market God. could ever do. Well, what I'm getting at is that, like, so that was the purpose of comics in, in for, for a, a lot of comics. Their goal is to sure. highlight the way that we are doing things wrong as a society and how we can be better. And you were saying, like, if I were someone hiring writers, I would absolutely hire someone like Tana Hasi because he straight out said in this interview, he's like, look, we're trying to be better. We you know, we have words that we wrote on paper that like you know speaking about the declaration that like we're trying to live up to and most of the time we don't very often we are failing to live up to the document that that is the basis for who we are yeah and and comics is one of the ways that we are trying to point out to pe- people we're doing this shitty we are shitty to each other. This is what we could be doing better is to embody the ideals of these characters. Right. I mean, yeah. America as a rule only has two art forms that they created. Jazz and comics. <laughs> like that's it. That's those are two original American art forms, jazz and comics. Um 
both in their own way came from people who were not white American mainstream. Jazz was born, I, I, my knowledge of jazz is very limited. Uh, jazz was born in, in Harlem. Jazz was born in in places where- It comes where, from black culture. Yeah, and comics came from immigrants and people who grew up in slums and and then of course like whatever. I, Hisham is saying the same thing in the chat. It's it's interesting when you look at the backgrounds of golden age comic creators. How many of them came from first or second generation immigrant families? Yeah, I, I, neither jazz or comics come from middle class white America. They just don't. And they are the two original American art forms. And I again, my knowledge of jazz is very limited, but one could argue right now that we are in a golden age of comics. Um the the superhero and the comic story is everywhere. And no matter what you might read about how comics are dying, A, that's not true, actually. In 2020, uh, Diamond showed a 20% increase in new in new accounts. That means new comic book shops. Yes. Um, so ignore whenever you read a headline of, like, is, this, is the comic dying? No, it, not at all. It's evolving, as all art form does. Um, well, what I like, I'm, and I, I have not formulated this thought until just now as we're kind of going over this, what it seems like to me is that we've, we've come full circle. Definitely. Uh, you've talked about this a lot. I can't necessarily speak to it myself, but there was uh, a, a great chunk of time where comics was having this like huge boom in terms of profitability, but not necessarily in terms of like the qualities of the quality of the stories being told the the messages that were being sent sure uh, a mean, lot of like like a lot of dark gritty shit that didn't really have the same heart and soul as, yeah, that, as that, preceding stories of the same characters yeah the early to mid 90s of comics everyone was making stupid money we, it was like wolves of wall street but back then it was nothing but like women that didn't have a spine so you could see their double d titties and their massive ass Simultaneously. And then, and then, and then dudes with lots of pockets. Like that was the nineties. <laughs> lots <of> money, pockets. <laughs> lots of pockets. Made money hand over fist. Stories weren't good. Right. Um, and, but I'm not. And... Go ahead. I was going to say, but I don't equate that right now in terms of art and writing and storytelling. This is the, this is the best era of comics ever. Better than ever. the original times. 100%. This is the golden age of comics from a creative stance. The only hindrance is there are so many amazing books out there that it's hard to read them all. Yeah. Yeah. The stories being told now are beautiful, are wonderful, are inspiring, heartbreaking. It's the golden age. It really, really is. Um, and I think it's because of people like uh, Tanahasi Coates. Did I say it right? Tanahasi? Tanahasi. Tanahasi Coates. I mean, he's he spent one factor of it. Oh yeah, and variant covers. Don't forget about variant covers. Well, although we still have those, and I think they're wonderful. Variant covers make shops happy. I have bought the occasional variant cover when it's an artist that I like. I am all over that. I am not above that. You know, when I see that, like Joelle Jones or Becky Cluden or Jacques is doing a variant cover, I'm like, oh, Michael, Michael, I want that variant cover. Mm -hmm. You know. Which, by the way, I'm going on almost three months not clearing out my box. I got to fix that because I'm a boss. I've only what? got like four titles, so it's not like it's a big. 
Yeah, I don't know where else we can go with this tonight. Plus, we're pushing eight o'clock here. Yeah, no, I yeah, I don't think that we had like an end goal in mind when we decided to talk about this. We just wanted to highlight the interview and 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 because a because it's quality, but also because it um it crosses paths with a lot of what we do here on this show, probably to a much more eloquent degree. But yeah, you know, I think I'm not think a, I'm it, not a Howard University professor, so neither am I. I have a BA from Merrillhurst who went out of business four years ago. So yeah, I have an associates from the University of Phoenix. Uh, super. <laughs> I, think, I have like zero credibility <laughs> with anybody. I think what it comes down to is, um, if the superhero, I feel like I'm hammering on this, but if you're if you're a white dude and the superhero no longer looks like you, still buy the comic. Like the morals and ethics that you like. Like, it's still there, but maybe you're going to get something else out of it. And that can be applied to anything. Star Wars is more diverse than it's ever been. Star Trek is more diverse than it's ever been. It's still superhero comics. It's still a galaxy far, far away. It's still the human adventure on the final frontier, but now it's more. So embrace uh, the fact that it's more. You just reminded that, That's me. what I want to ask you. Embrace that it's more and take it in. And you will be better for it. That, yeah, yeah. As as a as a white person, it would if if you want to be a white ally, the the a recommend a recommendation like a really low low key ask is for you to ignore what what the characters look like and and think about what they're saying and what they're doing. More than anything else, yeah. Uh, or like, I guess, like in a slightly different way of putting that is to like actually make an effort to support art that does not represent you specifically. Yeah, because just because you, I, I was very guilty of this myself. I was once in a book club and there was a you know like a couple different books being volleyed around as to what our next read should be and one of them was a black writer writing about you know like a black character's experiences in xyz probably like a like a black neighborhood or, or something and i was just like oh man i don't know i have a hard time relating to that and that was like absolutely the wrong attitude to have you're never yeah. going to relate to something if you don't take the time to to learn about it yeah i mean and, and now i'm like that's stupid that was so stupid of me to do and say like, if i could go back in time and like undo things i don't have a lot of regret in life but i'm like man i wish i had that's one of them. that yeah it's it's just uh, it's a bad look i will recommend to you to go start reading nk jemison's works her work it's, is amazing. It's, I, ha- I own some of them. I just haven't read them yet, but I absolutely but, intend to. And I've but, heard nothing but great things. But to do what you say, like you and I are both Latinx people. You're a woman. I'm a man. Whatever. Um, but like we both read Mexican Gothic, um, although we may both be brown. We've got fuck all in common with that character, other than the fact that we're both brown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even, even if you can identify ethnically with a character... It's still a fantasy or a horror book, and you've got nothing to come with it other than how you look on your skin. Exactly, exactly. Most of we're what not I made consume... of mushrooms. <laughs> I'm also not like Victorian or an elf 
Worf or and in Starfleet, you know, you know, in the 1960s, whatever, like most of what I've had to consume and loved throughout the course of my, you know, not quite 40 years on this planet, I've enjoyed, even though most of the time, like 80, 80, 95% of the time, none of them looked like me. None of them had a background that I could relate to. It's like maybe on a, like, just like a general personality level. I could be like, yeah, I feel that. I can I can think of one fictional character in recent memory that I can 100% identify with in a weird way, and it's the food truck dude from the Stumptown TV series. <laughs> Just a squat, chunky, hairy brown dude who likes to make tacos and experiment with Mexican food. I'd be like, "Do you like it? Yeah." Like, okay, there's one <laughs> character, one character. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, I now I'm on the spot and I could not name you a single character that I super super identify with. And if I if I could think of one, I bet you they're white because that's what's uh, out there historically. I can see you identifying with what's her name from the Expanse. Uh, the granted, Naomi? you're not you're no you're not an Asian woman. The other one. Oh, drummer. 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 You're kind of wired like drummer. Which is badass. I've softened up a bit over the years. I don't know that you that's have, true but if anymore. someone crossed, but I can but if, appreciate them as if, my past self. But if someone crossed you and threatened your friends or your tribe, you'd airlock the fuck out of them. Oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There, there's the, the only reason people I I'm I have only pushed away to still breathe oxygen is because I can't push them into space. Yeah. There you go. Sure. Let's wrap up the show. All right. Uh, next week, we're going to have on Steve Coker. That is correct. We are going to be talking about his game and that yeah, is so in development. And now I'm like, fuck, what is it? Dex Dixon. Uh, De- yeah, thank you. Dex Dixon something something. It's So if you guys are familiar with the name Steve Coker, uh, he's the guy that put on Flash. Ah! Uh-huh. But his but his first stage was an original character, main Dex Dixon, paranormal detective. Right. And he is now and creating a board game around that character. I have the title. It yeah. is uh it is called it is just called The Adventures of Dex Dixon, the board game. So very, very easy. I should have had that. But, but yeah. uh we're gonna test it out and talk about it. Well, we're gonna pre test it out and then we will yep. be able to talk about it deeply. We're gonna... Next yeah, week. we're gonna we're gonna play test this week. This week, and then we're gonna have Cable will be back, and we're gonna have Steve on, and we're gonna talk about the board game. It's gonna be cool. So with that, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Bean Arita, and uh, we will talk to everybody next week. Watch out for snakes. I took it from you. And listen to the daily. Yeah, do that. That's good. Yeah.